Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Water, and I'm here, as always, I'm a good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Today is going to be a fun conversation. We're going to pull something out of current events, something that we (laughs) saw on the social media platform that we found interesting and thought could lend to a good conversation today around weight loss, health, exercise, and just really apply it to a fasting lifestyle in a way that should hopefully simplify the process for y'all and also get you what we always talk about, those long-term sustainable results. So it's a little little vague opening there, but it's going to touch on a lot of different things around the conversation about exercise. Hmm. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit different way, share some of our personal experiences, and then give you some specific things that you can do or try on your weight loss and health journey. Now, most of us come to fasting for weight loss, but we found that it's much more than that. If you're new to the podcast, we want to welcome you in. If you want to learn more about Tommy and I and our journey and why we do this and how we ended up here, then head back to episode one. We asked for a little bit of grace, you know, as our first recorded podcast episode. Didn't really know what we were doing, but we had we knew we had something really powerful to share. So head back, check it out, give it a listen. And uh, thank you for joining us and giving us a shot on your fasting and health and weight loss journey. So for yeah. you OGs out there, you long-term listeners, appreciate you guys tuning in. Keep dropping those five-star reviews. Those are obviously our favorite kind. If Love you them. feel so inclined, that then tells the podcast world and the powers it be that we are delivering value each and every week. And we want to deliver some value to you today as well. So Tommy, we're going to talk about exercise. And this comes mm-hmm. from the weirdfacts.org posts that have been posted recently that I've seen people kind of grabbing and then going into conversation about. And what they say is exercise does not actually contribute much to weight loss. Mm. Okay, so some of you are going, okay, then what does it contribute to? And what they say is simply <laughs> eating better has a significantly bigger impact even without much exercise. Mm. And here's the truth. They're right. Okay, <laughs> they're right. Weirdfacts.org is not weird. They are actually right. Now, what I did not say is that exercise is not important and that you shouldn't exercise. And we get the question often, what about in your fasting programs and challenges, do you talk, what about exercise? What should Mm -hmm. I be doing? And it's been a very long road for me on my own journey in learning to compartmentalize exercise and also think about it in a way that is exciting and or sustainable. Because if you tell me that I got to treadmill it or stair step it or, <laughs> or 10,000 uh, steps it, <laughs> yeah, 10,000 steps it a day it to get a benefit, I'm going to be like, well, that doesn't really sound like a sustainable, fun thing to me, right? So if you hate running, yeah. don't start running to lose weight. 
And the big picture is benefits of exercise are probably innumerable. But if you just look at some of the information that's out there, I mean, you got brain health. They help manage weight loss after you've lost it. Mm-hmm. They decrease the risk of disease, strengthen your bones and muscles, prevent osteoporosis, increase your ability to do activities of daily living, like, you know, live your life pain-free, like I have a high quality of life. And I mean, you can all the way go down to help prevent diabetes, help reverse diabetes, decrease heart disease and strokes, decrease the chance of some cancers chances of living longer. It also helps manage diseases and conditions like arthritis and those types of things if you already have an established condition. So exercise, incredibly important for overall health, but it's not the magic bullet to get the scale moving and lose the weight. Yeah, true. He just reminded me of the book. Did you ever read the book Spark? from like no. 10 years ago. Okay, the revolutionary new science of exercise in the brain. This I was love like random changer. things that come up on episodes that we didn't talk about prior to right. the episode. So this is oh, good. I know you do. So, so teach your, me something. I do it to you all the time. It, teach me something. It's your it's your favorite. Say it again. So yeah, Spark, the revolutionary new science of exercise in the brain. But this was back from 2013 from John Rady, MD. There's a really cool book. So if, if you're not sure why, if, if we're saying you know, literally that exercise is not the key to fat loss. However, there are innumerable benefits to exercise. This was a really cool book to be like, well, what are some of those benefits? How is my brain impacted? Because the the neurochemistry and the stimulation of the brain and keeping you sharp, especially going into older age is incredible. And that, that book just lays out just so many of the best reasons why exercise should absolutely be you know high on your priority list and regardless of of your age or your fitness level or needing to lose weight or anything else like that yeah movement is really key right so if you look mm-hmm. at some of the studies of the centenarians over in japan mm-hmm. and you look at their activity levels they walk everywhere they get leaner as they get older they've got tens of thousands of these folks living into the into the 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 10th decade, right? A hundred plus mm-hmm. years of age and yeah. their movement, right? So you, you hear the cliche, it's cliche for a reason. Movement is the key to life, right? So there's been studies recently that sitting is the new smoking, right? Mm-hmm. That we yeah. are more sedentary than ever before. We know the obesity and overweight statistics here in the United States are staggering, 70 plus percent of the population. We sure. know that the majority of the chronic lifestyle-induced illnesses that our healthcare system deals with on a daily basis from back pain all the way to, like we just mentioned, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and some cancers, all of those lifestyle-mediated or lifestyle-induced health concerns that our system is being weighed down on or down by are related to this excess weight. So at any given time, 50 to 60% of the population is trying to lose weight, Mm. right? We have you know, 70 million Americans undiagnosed with prediabetes. We've got 30 million Americans with diabetes. We've got these Alzheimer's epidemic, the obesity epidemic. You know, all of these things are going on. It's like, okay, well, we are programmed. I was programmed to always exercise to lose weight. So it's eat less, right? And move more, okay? So we're going to talk about a few different groups today. We're going to talk about 18 to 24-year-olds. We're going to talk about alternate day fasting and exercise for reducing liver fat, which is incredibly important. 
different types of exercise for reducing visceral fat in young people with obesity. We talk a lot about visceral fat because it's a metabolically active tissue that literally shortens your lifespan. So we want to get rid of that visceral fat that lives around our internal organs, not the stuff yeah. beneath the skin, which is subcutaneous fat. But the starting point for today, I really want to, before we go into some of the different types of exercise and what these studies show is, does exercise without weight loss, because we want to separate and make these two very related things, exercise and weight loss, right? Mm. Improving your diet, improving your food choices and, and exercise. Because I was always trying to, as you said, Tommy, make it fit into the equation, right? So yep. mm -hmm. right from American Diabetes Association, there's an article, does exercise without weight loss improve insulin sensitivity? Because the reality is, if we're going to be really focusing on the drivers here, the underlying causes of weight loss resistance and, mm. and metabolic disease, then we need to talk about insulin. And the weirdfacts.org statement is that, yeah, exercise really doesn't help in weight loss. Well, we know that we can improve our health outcomes by getting the weight off. Exercise, mm. however, only contributes to about 5% of our total daily energy burn. So we have all of this energy. We have, we have a certain amount of energy that's required yeah. to our basal metabolic rate to make sure our heart's beating and our lungs are breathing and our blood is flowing, right? And cells are growing and we have all of this stuff, right? Yeah. That's our Neurons basal, are firing. Yeah. Basic metabolic function, right? Then we have our non-exercise activity thermogenesis group, which is the second largest group, right? Which is up to, you know, about, you know, 15%. Then we have our thermic effect of food category, right? Which is about 10%. And then we have exercise activity thermogenesis. So calorie burn from exercise. Yeah. 5%. Deliberate, deliberate movement in addition to what we would need to do throughout the day. Yeah. Non-activities of daily living, not taking yeah. the trash out, not walking to your car, not, no, like deliberate increasing your heart rate exercise, going to the gym five days a week. Right? So the problem mm -hmm. is, is that we have a lot of people that come to us and say, hey, you know, the scale's not moving. I started fasting. I'm hungry all the time. Do I put my fast after my exercise or before? Yeah. Should I exercise fasted or fed? Doesn't or, matter. Or I'm doing everything right, including exercising like a madman or Five like a madwoman, you know, yeah. which is actually sometimes part of the problem or can yeah. accelerate getting into a plateau counterintuitively. I mean, right. this can be a very frustrating part of the process for sure, but it can also be one of those big like question marks. So like, like you just alluded to a little bit ago, I mean, I, I remember I was, I was like 13, probably like about seventh grade going into like the first time I really exercised trying to lose body fat, you know, like I, I had a little too much and I wanted to decrease it. So I wanted, you know, better health, better weight. And I was using exercise as, as part of that. I was also using some protein powders and, and things like that. But this was like the beginning of that relationship of like, when I'm exercising, I'm, I'm going for health. I'm trying to improve right. my weight, you know, like you had something similar too, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I started at a very young age. I was always the big kid, right? I was always mm. the never looked like I played basketball, but people were like, do you play basketball? I was on steroids for my asthma. I was always yeah. puffy, 20, 30 pounds overweight, right? already yeah. developing insulin resistance and didn't know it. Yep. So exercise does not actually contribute much to the weight loss part, but it contributes a lot to overall health. Yeah. So it can be frustrating when you're doing the things you think you're doing right, yet the scale's not moving. For so sure. the quote we started with, or the, the, the comment from weirdfacts.org, 
was really focusing on by simply making better food choices. Well, I would like to add to that simply by being more consistent with fasting. Yeah, your meal timing right? for sure. Yeah. The meal timing as well. And so much of the research we've talked about recently in the last probably 30 or 40 episodes, right? Over the last six to eight to 10 months is really starting to, to show and prove that as well, that it can be a viable solution for so many folks. So yes, we want to we want to exercise. And this article from Diabetes American Association says, you know, it's it's long been established in a single exercise session can increase insulin stimulated glucose in previously sedentary adults. Mm. So a single bout of moderate intensity exercise can increase glucose uptake by 40 percent. Wow. Never mind the the That's leisurely, huge. moderately leisurely walk after dinner, which can decrease your blood sugar by 30 to 35 percent. Right. But now we're getting a moderate activity. So we're talking moderate zone two, zone three, anywhere from 65 to 70, maybe 75% of your heart rate. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can have a conversation. You can do it for a long time. You should be able to do it for a while, but you can get a 40% increased glucose uptake and not have to be like killing yourself on the stair stepper or like I used to do trying to to get my extra 300 calorie burn yep. on those calorie yep. trackers, which can mm -hmm. also be 90% inaccurate. Yeah. I know. Some people are like, okay, what's the point <laughs> so of this and how is this good? Okay, we're going to talk in just a minute. So, but even even just knowing that, the 40% change, and, and then also the afterburn effect of that, the quote unquote afterburn, right? So not on the metabolic activity side of that, but the increased glucose uptake and increased insulin sensitivity right. can last 48 to 72 hours as well. So if you're talking about putting in those kind of exercise bouts, you don't have to be necessarily doing it every single day to find a big benefit. If, if it was two, three times a week that you were doing that, as well as, as adding the, those post-meal walks, this is an incredible lever to pull for balancing out blood sugar, insulin spikes, and then leading to better fat burning without feeling like, oh man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm living in the gym, but I'm at this plateau. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of good physiological reasons for that and more working out, more exercise or more intensity is not necessarily the answer. It might right. actually lead you even farther away or keep you in the plateau longer counterintuitively. A lot of the stuff said here, yeah, we'll see a short-term insulin uptake or glucose uptake, insulin sensitivity. But then mm. in the long term, it really hasn't been proven out, right? So they looked mm. at, you know, different studies, 12 weeks and exercise in lean, obese and type 2 diabetic men. You know, insulin sensitivity measures were obtained four days post-exercise did not significantly alter insulin sensitivity. So, you know, daily exercise performed for 60 minutes at 70% of maximum heart rate is not associated with significant improvement in insulin sensitivity in the absence of weight loss. So the take-home message here is, the observations appear to suggest the impact of exercise training on insulin sensitivity is mediated by diminished body weight and or adiposity. So, so get the weight off. Get the weight off. <laughs> and how do you do that? What works for you? So mm. fasted versus fed exercise. Well, there's benefits to both, but over a 24-hour period, it's a net zero. Mm. You burn more fat during a fasted workout and less after. Yeah. And you burn less during a fed workout, meaning you've eaten within the last 60 to 90 minutes or so sure. or within two hours, if you still have digestive process taking place. Yeah. You got um, sugar to burn, right? Yeah. You got the, energy to process, food. right? Yeah. And then you burn more after because the body's inherently smart. So 
when we look at a couple of cool subgroups or subtypes of how exercise can benefit, I want to mention that the biggest bang for your buck in terms of fat loss is going to be, and I had a previous experience, a recent experience with a Peloton challenge, a zone based Peloton challenge that my wife talked me, forced me, lovingly <laughs> guided me into doing. I'm pressure. not one. I'm not spousal one, pressure. Yeah, I used to do way. hours and hours and hours and hours of rowing. I was on a virtual rowing team, like Concept 2 rowing, right? Yeah. I actually never rowed on the water, but I used to do hours and hours and hours, right? In that, in that math equation struggle of let me burn more calories so I can get into a yeah. bigger calorie deficit, right? But it's only 5%. Of your caloric right. daily burn. It's a, such okay? a small lever to try Never to, Never mind you the know, hunger. Like, right. That, it's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to put all my money in that lever, right? Well, let's yeah. let's weirdfacts.org it and make some better decisions about our fasting and our food, right? We want to, the biggest bang for your buck is staying at like 60% of your maximum heart rate and lower. The simplest equation to figure that out is 220 minus your age times the percent. So mm. 220 minus your age times 0.6 will give you your max heart rate. In this zone, this lower intensity zone, let's call it zone one, 85% of your calories are fat. Mm. The downside is you're burning fewer calories overall than you would if you're at higher intensity. Yeah. But we know the caloric burn percentage is so small that I'm like, oh, okay. So let's walk a few times a week. Cool. Right. Got it. And after a meal, better blood sugar spike. Mm. Now, the moderate zone, so now we're going zone two, zone three. Or when we get into zone three, four, we're going to be in the aerobic phase, right? So we're going to be higher heart rate intensities. Mm -hmm. When you're at the 60 to 70%, about 60 to 65% of those calories are fat. Okay. Now we're talking. All right. I can, I can do that. Shorter duration, higher intensity type workouts rather than mm -hmm. just the, the slow slog on the treadmill or the stair stepper. And then when you get into the higher aerobic ranges, you're actually going to have about only like 35 to 45% of your calories are actually burning fat. Hmm. So once your heart rate increases, you're not taking in as, as much oxygen, so you can't oxidize the fat as much. And it also then turns, you know, to turn glycogen into glucose, so you can get a short-term energy, right? So you're going to need more short-term energy supplies, so your body's going to dump glucose into the bloodstream, which is something that we see with folks say, hey, I did a workout, but my blood sugar went up. Yeah. Should. Okay. If you're in the blood sugar yeah. reversing, blood sugar lowering, blood sugar management portion of your weight loss journey or disease reversal, let's say you're working mm -hmm. on prediabetes, then we're going to want to keep that in check. So that's interesting because if you stimulate a lot of muscles, the cool thing is that those muscles are going to require some sugar. So like you can, you can get a cool like glucose uptake, which leads to an increase in insulin sensitivity. But one of the things that you mentioned there reminded me of the fact that hunger can be an issue too. Right. So like, so those longer, more intense workouts, if you're not careful or you're not cognizant, you know, there's, there's plenty of good data that shows we, we tend to overconsume after things like that. So we, we hear from a lot of people who, who, you know, they'll, they'll work out fasted, but they'll do it right before their, their nutrition window opens up. Right. And then so so I'm almost like ending my my workout, my intense workout with an eating opportunity that's going to tend to be bigger, more calorically dense. I get this. I might be dealing with some of that ravenous kind of behavior. Right. And that can be very kind of counter counterproductive because it can it can bring in things like 
like momentary thinking versus longer term thinking. I'm eating some things that I wouldn't necessarily, or I might have like a subconscious justification, like I like I earned it a little bit, and then that can be you know very much lead to like an energy balance, which can create a plateau too. Yeah, hundred percent. I want to be really clear in what I said about heart rate. I left out a part of the equation. Now, there's more accurate mm-hmm. ways, you know, if you're an athlete to to get a maximum heart rate calculation. But just for simplicity, your maximum heart rate is 220 minus your age. Okay, so a 40 okay. year old guy, me, so my maximum heart rate would be 180. Okay. Then you multiply that by the range you want to be in. So the lower range, 60, 65 percent. Boom. Multiply it by 180. And then you've got your target heart rate range, right? So if I did the 50 to 60% range, I'd multiply 180 times 0.5 and then 180 times 0.6. I'm going to get a range of 90 to 108. So if I'm out walking, I know that I'm going to be burning fat if I'm doing a 30 to 45 minute walk because my heart Mm -hmm. rate is going to be in that range. Now I have a whoop because I track my sleep for my health Mm -hmm. benefit. So I know I can just look down and turn on my app and know where my heart rate is. So most people have some form of that, but you can just you know count the beats per minute if you wanted to do it the old school way. But I just wanted to land the plane because I forgot about that. I left out the part of taking the maximum and then calculating it. So I want to talk about a couple of these studies, Tommy. One is alternate day fasting, right? So this is where you're going to have an ad libitum day of intake, right? And then you're going to have a day of no intake of calories, so no food. And on those days, there's also modified alternate day fasting where you can have five or 600 calories, but to us, it kind of defeats the purpose. And this study looked at the effect of alternate day fasting combined with aerobic exercise on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So a place that your body stores fat that is detrimental to long-term metabolic health is in your liver. So this is a randomized controlled trial that looked at, we did a whole couple episodes on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in the past. But the cool thing about this was NAFLD followed an intermittent fasting plus exercise protocol for three months. And there were four different groups, right? And the outcomes were pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, y'all wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, And now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, Uh, My little guy, my two-year-old, has not slept consistently through the night uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He is our third child, and we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times, rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing And the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days, in some cases up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors, and we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier, a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money, and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes 
pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up, but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code FASTING for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the fasting for life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. And just to go back a step to the fatty liver disease is, you know, one of the first steps towards visceral fat yep. can kind of start with like an overstuffed liver. And then we get this upticks in our liver enzymes that aren't necessarily outside of the the normal blood range. You know, you might, might see those tick up. I did. And it, it can kind of be one of those things. Oh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. You know, that kind of thing. But all the while perpetuating some of the, the, the slow weight gain and accumulation over time. And so, you know, seeing this study and and putting together like it wasn't a very big study. I think there were there were about 80, 80 participants, yeah. yeah, divided into into four groups. So, in order to see a substantial significant, you know, actual effect of any one of the groups, it would have had to be it, it has to be a very big difference, you know. And so, it lacks some of the statistical power, but even even then with that limitation, we did see the fact that when you combine the exercise with the alternate day fasting, we do get a a statistically significant effect and a reduction in exactly what we're looking for, the fatty liver markers, which is which is fantastic, whether you have, you know, pre-diabetes or or not. Either way, it's it's a substantial health improvement marker and and kind of one that's like under the radar for a lot of people as well. Yeah, I love the the like you said, small sample size, but I love that they compared ADF fasting, ADF fasting with moderate intensity aerobic exercise, right? Mm. Which is five sessions for 60 minutes a week, which is actually a little bit more than we initially recommend if you're starting out fasting, right? Or restarting yeah. your weight loss journey. And then they had the two groups, the exercise group alone, and then the non-intervention control group. Mm. So obviously the cool part was that that body weight, fat mass, waist circumference, and ALT levels of the liver significantly decrease while insulin sensitivity, the good side of insulin, meaning how effective your insulin is, significantly increased in the combination group. Yeah. But it didn't change in the other groups. So the combination of the fasting with this moderate level of activity or moderate level of movement was the biggest bang for your buck. It's really cool because if you actually time out the fact that, okay, I, I know which days I'm going to be fasting, which days I'm going to be eating. Like if you are, if you are following an alternate day, you know, fasting type schedule, mm-hmm. what, what I would do is I would, I would just take it like a few days at a time. We've, we've seen a lot of like weekly calendars and monthly calendars and stuff like that, where you can put all this kind of time into a, into a plan. Cause we're kind of getting into the, into the nitty gritty when you start talking about alternate day fasting and then 
and then like how many exercise you know sessions am I going to have? But it, it, this can be a nice bridge going from calories in, calories out, and tracking your stuff over into a, a more effective method of doing this. You know, using fasting, but then also you know exercising to to optimize my results too. So planning that out just a few days at a time. I'm just going to encourage everyone progress over perfection. Don't be a perfectionist right. here because that can be the trap sometimes. And yep. I, I'm, I'm going to raise both of my hands. I'm going to say I've right. fallen into that trap thousands right. of times, but you can, you can avoid it too. So don't get, don't get lost in the details of what we're talking about here. So just again, to, to go back to why we thought this was an encouraging thing to talk about in terms of exercise mm-hmm. is because of the biggest of the misconception, right? Most of our brains, it's like, I got to, eat less and move more. I got to work out more to get the scale to move. It's just not honestly true. Now for this article, it's really important to us as hepatic steatosis has been shown or fatty, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease Mm -hmm. has been shown to be only secondary to insulin resistance and not vice versa in a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease state. So we need to know that insulin resistance, weight loss resistance, right? Carrying the excess weight, the excess fat cells around with us could potentially lead to hepatic steatosis or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is directly linked to metabolic syndrome, triglycerides being off, blood pressure being elevated, type 2 diabetes risk increasing, cardiovascular risk increasing, et cetera. Visceral fat going up. Visceral fat going up, right? We know the direct correlation there. So moderate exercise, moderate, moderate, moderate. Okay. Moderate's nice because then that leads to consistency. It it's leads a lot to sustainability. To do that, yeah. A hundred percent. So you can always dial it up, you know. But like, you need a stress relief. Started. Go on the long run. Totally yeah. cool. Go go on the hike. Get the the mental. That's another thing that we don't talk a lot about with exercise too. Is for my wife specifically. For her, it's it's like a mental health day, right? Like, sure. She she loves to do it. Yeah, because it's therapeutic, right? It gets mm-hmm. that stress relief out. For me, no. For me, like I don't, I just don't feel it that way. For me, it's like I need to go do something as a stress mm-hmm. relief. So, like, I need to go yeah. weed the garden. I need to go run an errand. I check need to some go. Boxes. Yeah, I need to. Yeah. I need to check a box somewhere. That that's yeah. Like, go take the dogs to the park. Right. For mm-hmm. me, exercise is. I need to. I need to know that I'm doing this for a very specific health reason, and yeah. not just because I need a break. Right. So mm-hmm. it really depends on the sustainability pieces is what what does exercise look like for you? And you're not going to exercise your way out of a bad fasting habits or bad nutritional habits because it's such a small percentage. Now, you're still going to get the health benefits, right? Just like this study showed. So the second study we wanted to mention was actually in different exercise types because goodness gracious, there's aerobic activity, there's cardio, there's HIIT, there's Tabata workouts, there's CrossFit, there's Metcons, there's you know, your standard swimming, running, jogging, or jogging, soft J <laughs> right. out there, right? F45, hot works, you know, all of these different type boot camps, right? All of these different types where you're going to be in a higher, higher heart rate state, mm-hmm. which can lead to less growth hormone, uh, excuse me, depending on the, the heart rate, could lead to more cortisol levels being elevated, which could be potentially slowing down your progress. Yeah. Even though it's it's Good fun and, and you love doing it every day because it's a stress relief like my wife. So sometimes I'm like, hey, sure. you gotta, you already worked out in road on your horse today. Do you really need to get a Peloton ride in? <laughs> like three workouts a day? I'm like, okay. And you wonder why you want to go to bed at nine o'clock on a Friday. So anyway, right. <laughs> that balance piece is, is key here as well. So 
This article is talking about different exercise types for reducing visceral fat in young people with obesity. So if this doesn't speak to one of the fastest growing problems that we have, which is the obesity epidemic in our younger age groups. So mm. we're going to talk specifically about adolescents age, ages 12 to 18 and 18 to 24. That's, first of all, just seeing the title, it makes me just want to spread the message and right. do something like I hate the fact that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, this this would have this wouldn't have even been like a cohort that was studied because they they wouldn't have had enough subjects in there but like you said the 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 rate of increase for young obesity and then young visceral fat is is alarming. And so what what you can take away here is the fact that a a young adult body especially is like it's still it's coming off of that that rapid growth mode yeah. but the the way young bodies or young adult bodies process things like you can you can see data and you can you can see results much faster than you right. can you know with an older body you know studying the same kind of thing so so looking to make correlations between these activities and what it did to visceral fat is is a really cool like lens to see it through yeah, and they they looked at they even say you know the risk the risk bias was high, they weren't the the best studies you know it was hard to look at the studies in the younger categories right and the point really being just highlighting the fact that they looked at aerobic exercise concurrent aerobic and resistance exercise resistance exercise alone and then high intensity interval training over the course of a few trials. And what they found was the frequency ranged anywhere from two to six sessions and anywhere from 12 to 10, 12 weeks to 10 months. And mm. we really wanted to mention this just because of that concern from parents that we hear often, which is, well, can my kids fast? And mm. there's really my person, I can only speak from my personal experience with the kids that I have is that my kids inherently fast. Sure. They're six, yeah. four, well, the one-year-old doesn't fast. He's either constantly breastfeeding or snack eating because, right, he's, he's 14 months. But my other two, they inherently fast. Like one loves to eat breakfast and doesn't really like to eat dinner. And one loves to eat dinner mm. and doesn't really like to eat breakfast. No yeah, matter, we I, could literally serve them cake for breakfast and they won't eat it. Yeah. Their favorite food, right? They, they won't eat it. <laughs> so yes, kids can fast. If you are in an over calorically induced state and you are carrying excess weight, then my heart goes out to it because that was me. Yep. Me Back too. in the day, right? Like mine was steroids and lack of knowledge and pop tarts for breakfast. Antibiotics. And, you know, late, yeah, antibiotics and all the stuff mm -hmm. that I was on. There was was a component of it because we know that those things stimulate insulin resistance. But the study here was really cool because it just spoke to the bigger picture again of what's going to be healthy and sustainable for that individual. And as a parent, we need to make that decision for our kids, right? Because mm. I don't know about you, I didn't start making good decisions until I was like in my mid twenties better decisions, I should, I should say. All right. So the, what they found here for this age group of 18 to 24 was that the biggest reduction in visceral fat, right, which is the stuff you don't want to be carrying around for decades of your life, yeah, was found in aerobic exercise and high-intensity exercise. So mm. short duration, high-intensity bursts, and then lower and slower, more lower end of the moderate to low aerobic type exercises. So not so much in the resistance exercise or in the concurrent aerobic and resistance exercise groups. The reality here is just like as an adult, we just want to encourage you that the benefit of exercise 
for blood sugar stability, glucose utilization, insulin sensitivity, and reduction of visceral fat or fat hepatic steatosis, fat in your liver, mm. is individualized, but you got to try some things and see how your body responds. And most importantly, like what's fun to you, especially in this younger yeah. group, like yeah. what's fun to the individual, right? For me, I really don't like running. I've done it. I've trained for half marathons. It's not my favorite. So that's not going to be my preferred long-term solution to yeah. maintaining the weight that I've already lost. Right. When you start thinking a little bit creatively, you give yourself permission to go, I don't have to be exercising for a calorie deficit and I don't have to be exercising to to necessarily hit my 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 weight goal or my fat loss goal, you know? Like I I can I can do a lot of that work without feeling forced to exercise. I think that's a really empowering, you know, place to be mentally, especially if you're coming off of calories in, calories out and and tracking right. and just exercising to get that that calorie deficit. Then you can start getting creative with it. Maybe rock climbing, swimming, cycling, like like pick up a hobby that gets you moving that you look forward to. That's a really cool thing because when you're not feeling like you just need to be in the gym, you know, grinding it out for this calorie deficit, then you get to enjoy the process which means that like during your next fast, you can put in a a workout or an activity that you enjoy, yeah. which helps you enjoy the process, and right. and that that furthers your momentum and your sustainability of the process, along with with the results as well. Like like that's that's where we have power, right? We we start putting all those right. factors together. Yeah, and the the steps thing too has changed over the years, right? Because that that mm -hmm. ten thousand steps thing was a marketing campaign out of Asia. I think it was Japan, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We yeah. labeled the episode 10,000 Steps to Nowhere," right? <laughs> because it it literally was not based in any science. Now we have so much more science in these fit fit trackers and all this stuff that we these wearables and all this. Yeah. So even just 10 minutes a day would make a huge difference in the 40 plus age group. Okay. Yeah. So if you're younger especially than 60, sedentary. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're sedentary. So just park farther in the parking lot. Take the stairs. Walk yeah. to the mailbox, right? Like instead of getting yeah. in your car and going down to the little mailbox thing at the end of the street, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So just increasing your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is that larger group, right? So that is that 15% category where activities of daily living fall into, right? So mm -hmm. when we're looking at some of the benefits of steps, I mean, really, you know, 60 and younger, about 8,000 steps, seven to 8,000, you don't really yeah. need more than that. And six to 7,000 for that 60 year old plus, right? So get your steps in, right? Find some form of movement slash low to moderate exercise that you enjoy, and then add in some of the resistance training and maybe an HIIT exercise day where you get your heart rate up for short you know, periods of time, but you gotta play around with it and find something that you enjoy. That's the biggest takeaway here. It's just like, Hey, what's the what fasting window should I use? Well, I'm never going to tell you 48 to 72 hour fast because they're my least favorite. Right. <laughs> that doesn't mean I never do them, but that's not what I did to lose the weight or to mm. maintain the weight loss because it no. wasn't a sustainable practice for me. So, if you're looking for guidance on your fasting windows, on what your plate should look like, head to the show notes. You can get the blueprint to fasting for fat loss. It's a free PDF. It's 20 pages. It gives you some of the why behind getting the weight off and why we believe it's important, but then also some of the sustainable sustainability pieces to, to achieve a fasting lifestyle long-term. It gives you some schedules, how to ramp up, how to increase your times, 
And it's really been a cool resource since we released it back here in January. Tommy, final thoughts as we wrap up today. Yeah, absolutely. Plan your next activity. Try something new. Try something a little bit outside of your comfort zone and put in some new activity where you don't have to go, yeah, I got to be part of a gym. Like I'm, I'm only on with my diet if I'm yeah. in the gym because right. th that was the mistake that I used to make time after time after time. So plan an, another activity that you can do maybe during your next fast. So set the timer, yep. do an activity that you enjoy and and see how you feel and and watch the momentum kind of build from there. Yep. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right. Another episode in the books, Tommy. Appreciate the conversation as always. We will talk soon and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free fast start guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.